0: Missed a week or two, we are in week three of this series that we're calling Hope in the Middle of Hurt. We're going through this book of lamentations. It is in the Old Testament between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And it is, to put it lightly, a difficult book. It's five poems that are all about lament and grief. And we've spent a couple of weeks talking about grief. And lament, and we're going to continue that, it seems appropriate, in a season like Lent where there's a downward journey toward the cross. Now, a couple of weeks ago when I preached, when I started us out with Lamentations 1, I, I told you that if you don't get to your grief and lament, if you don't get around to it, if you don't deal with it or process it, that it will get to you, that your grief will get to you. One way or another, unprocessed grief is transmitted. Unprocessed pain is transmitted, as pain. And I told the story of when Amy finally saw me in a brief fit of rage punch a wall and said, I really think you should go and talk to someone about your unprocessed grief about your mother's suicide. And uh, I did that, I made an appointment and I wanna continue that story just a little bit. I, I did call, I did make an appointment, and it was actually with our pastor at the time, Pastor Dwight. And I, sat, I mentioned that I sat across the desk from him and I just wept and broke down and started to, to just let flow all of this grief that I've been holding behind this wall because I was a new teacher and a new husband and I was trying to do all the things and life had to go on and I didn't process until that moment. Well, once the, the tears stopped flowing and I could pull myself together enough to talk, I remember Dwight asked me, he said, Andy, um, tell me about this, what you're feeling, describe what you're feeling. And I said, I am, I'm very, very deeply saddened, but I'm also very angry because I don't understand. And he said, what do you mean you don't understand? I said, this woman taught me about the love of Jesus. As difficult as she was, as abusive as she could be, she also taught me about God's love. And taught me that God loved me no matter what. And she she actually helped me to become a disciple of Jesus. And I'm angry because it feels like she never heard anything she told me. That all this love of God stuff, she didn't believe in herself because she took her life. If she really believed in all this grace and love, why would she do that? And I remember Pastor White nodding and waiting for a moment and saying, well, first of all, remember that your, your mother was depressed and that's a mental illness. And so uh, that is a huge factor in what happened. But I want to say something else to you. And I sat there, kind of forehead all bunched up and still clenching my fists and waiting to hear what this man might be able to say about what this deep, terrible, angry, hurtful thing that I just said. And I remember he said to me, Andy, sometimes the people in our lives who teach us the most about the love of God and God's grace and forgiveness also have the hardest time receiving that for themselves. Sometimes the people who teach us the most, the people who can speak most skillfully and directly and passionately about the love of God actually struggle with Receiving that same love and grace and believing that for themselves. And he reminded me of how the youth pastor at my church two years before had taken his life. And this may sound weird, but in that moment when he said that, I felt lighter somehow. I felt like it it didn't all make sense, and my mom's death didn't make sense, and I was still angry and sad, but it was a little bit lighter. It it was almost like this, this turning point in my grieving process, where I was able to say, okay, if that's true, then I can lean into that. I can lean into that and talk about that and process that. What does that mean for me, and what does that mean about God? And it, it took me from this place of deep bitterness and sadness and grief and lightened it just a little bit and reminded me that God's love and grace are still real. The poet reporter in Lamentations has a similar turning point where he realizes that he won't always be angry at God, it won't always be sad and actually speaks of God's goodness. But first, really lets God have it. Really, really tears into God just a little bit. Beginning in verse 13, we read there, he, meaning God, shot into my vitals the arrows of his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. God has filled me with bitterness, God has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on the gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. That's verse 20. And then this turning point. In verse 21 we read, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in God. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, for the soul that seeks God. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the For the Lord will not reject forever. Although there is grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. When all the prisoners of the land are crushed underfoot, when human human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when one's case is subverted, does the Lord not see it? Who can command and have it done the Lord has not ordained it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should any who draw breath complain about the punishment of their sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord." You see, in verse 21, the poet has what almost, it's almost like, I like to think that the poet looked at an Ebenezer of sorts. We talked about an Ebenezer before we started this series. Almost like the poet saw a reminder of God's goodness in the middle of the grief and anguish. The description of that grief and anguish saw something and said, But, wait, hold on. Hold on. God is good. There is hope. I won't always be in this place. few things to say about this turning point. As we've been saying this entire series, it's important to do grief work. In fact, we've been saying we should lean into that work. We're oftentimes, especially in the church, we're not very good at the work of grief. We have a tendency to show up and smile and say everything's okay. I get blessings every morning, all of those things. And so we've said, no, we need to lean into that grief work. It's important. We can't, and we don't stay there. We cannot, we should not, and we don't stay there. If you ask people on our leadership team about Andy and calendaring, they will probably smirk and chuckle for a minute, and they will say, here's the thing about Andy and the calendar." Andy cannot do much with the actual 12 months a year, seven days a week calendar. He can't remember it. He doesn't schedule very well. He's getting better at it. I hope they would say that. But,
1: but what Andy does
0: time the entire, his entire existence on is the church calendar, is the liturgical calendar. That I can talk about. Talking about whether we'll do something in May or June, I don't know what that's like. But talking about something we're gonna do during Pentecost, or during Epiphany, or during Advent, I can speak in those terms. And and that's fairly new for me, I would say within the last maybe 10 years, that I have clung to the liturgical calendar as a rhythm for my own life, and here is why. In the course of the liturgical calendar for the year, we intentionally live through the whole process, of new birth, of life, of the story of Jesus. And then we move always through Lent toward death. And then there's resurrection, and new life, and hope, and epiphany. And then the Holy Spirit's coming in Pentecost. And then we do it all over again, every year. And there's a reason we progress through the entirety of life, death, and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and celebration of the saints of the church throughout the course of the year, it's because all of that belongs. Life, death, resurrection, all of it belongs in the course of our existence. Some parts we try to avoid. Some parts we don't want to deal with. But the reality is that it all belongs We don't stay in Advent hope because Christ comes in the Incarnation. We don't stay in Lent. We don't stay at the cross on Good Friday. We don't stay in mourning on Saturday vigil because Easter comes and we celebrate new life and resurrection and hope. And what I love too, and sometimes this happens here in Oregon, is how it times so well with the seasons of the year that a lot of times on Easter Sunday, in fact, I think there have been very few since I've lived here where there's an Easter Sunday, even if it's rainy all week before, Easter Sunday, usually we have sunshine, and it at least looks like spring. We get a glimpse of Easter hope, new life, eaten in the world around us, as it's revealed. Now, having said all of that, that we can't stay, in the sense wallowing in this work of grief and lament, we also have to be very careful, there's a balance there, about rushing into that turning point moment. Rushing in ourselves, like rushing toward it, or rushing others, pushing others toward that turning point too quickly. Part of my own process early on is that I just push toward that turning point. To correct a mistake I made when I preached last time, I, my mother died in June of 1999, and I was married in September of 1999. And I think that I rushed toward that turning point, toward, well, here we go, moving on now, in September of 1999. And it was way too quickly to push that turning point moment. And if we're not careful, we do that with ourselves, but we also do it with others. We have to allow ourselves and allow others to do that work. And sometimes we want to rush people because there's a sense of awkwardness. It's uncomfortable sometimes to sit with people in their grief, to hear people in lament. And in some ways, that's pretty selfish of us. I was thinking about all of the, the things that, that people say, things that were said to me when I was in my grief, things that maybe you have either heard said to you in your grieving or maybe you've even said some of these things and it turns out they're not really as helpful as you think they are. Things like, I remember when mom died, somebody said to me, Andy, God just wanted another angel. God just needed another angel in heaven, so he took your mom. Ugh. (laughs) Thanks anyway, right? Another one was... God never closes a door without opening a window. Nadia Boltz-Weber is one of my favorite pastors, and she says whenever she hears that, she wants to open that window a little bit wider and push that person out. (laughs) God never gives us more than we can handle. Really? Sure feels like it when you're in the depths of grief. And this last one. I'll tell a story about this. You know, this person wouldn't want us to cry. We should dry our tears. This person wouldn't want us to cry. They're with Jesus now. So we should dry our tears and be happy for them. When my grandpa Goebel died, my uncle, the youngest of my dad's seven siblings, stood up and He fancies himself a preacher sometimes and he stood up with all of this confidence and he said to everyone, listen, my dad wouldn't want you to cry right now. My dad would say, dry those tears because my dad knew Jesus. And my dad is dancing with Jesus right now. My dad would rather have you dance than crying right now. So I would suggest that we all dry our tears and celebrate with my dad. Well, my sister, Krista, who is never one who appreciate being told what to do whatsoever, and was deeply grieving and crying, heard this, (laughs) laughed out loud, and then cried even louder, and then leaned over to me and, air quotes, whispered, loud enough for at least a couple of rows to hear. If that's really what I thought Grandpa felt, I'd say Grandpa is really freaking selfish to say that. Because I'm sad he's dead. but I don't think that's how he feels at all. I think someone's just trying to blow Jesus' sunshine up our keisters. <laughs> sometimes, because of our discomfort, sometimes because we don't want to enter into the space of grief, we have these these things that we say, these things that we hear, that, that people are trying to be helpful, but they're not. See, what we're really, really talking about here when we're talking about this, this turning point is this need for hope eventually. We can't stay in our grief because we need a glimpse of hope, hope that the grief will someday get better or even end, hope that life will return to some sense of normalcy, that we can begin to live again, that we won't feel like we're going to be crying or grieving or hurting all the time. Two scriptures were read yesterday at uh, Lori Nelson's memorial service. For those of you who may not be aware, maybe didn't see it on Facebook, uh, our own Lori Nelson passed away On Monday night, suddenly, and um, her whole family flew in and we had a beautiful memorial service here yesterday. And at that service, we read these scriptures. First one is this, from Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we, we read from Isaiah 65, for I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed for the days. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the walk of their the work of their hands. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You see, my uncle wasn't completely off base in talking about hope. In Christ, I think his timing was a little off. But he wasn't off base in talking to us about the hope that we have in Christ. In fact, we referred to that yesterday. Alongside talking about grief and lament and tears, we talked about the hope that we have in Jesus at Lori's memorial yesterday. We talked about having both things, tears and laughter, side by side, both. After all, what's the point of having faith at all if we don't have hope? In the case of the reporter here, the poet in Lamentations 3, that hope is rooted in having survived. He realizes in the course of this poem as he's talking about all of his pain, he comes to a point and realizes, wait a minute, I'm still here. I made it. I'm here to record all of this anguish and tell the story of what happened. But that means I'm alive. And I'm hurting, I'm grieving, I'm anguished, I'm devastated, along with all of my people, but I'm still alive. And as long as there is life, there is hope. That's the good news for those of us who believe in the Jesus story, that there is still hope even in death. Because death can't stop the love of God as we read in Romans 8. God is doing something new and life-giving, as we read in Isaiah 65. Darkness cannot overcome the light, as we read in John 1, and God will have compassion, according to the abundance of God's steadfast love, according to our text today in Lamentations 3. Perhaps midway through this Lenten journey, Together is an appropriate time for a careful and gentle reminder of that truth. We call this series Hope in the Middle of Hurt because this whole section, this turning point happens right smack dab in the middle of these five poems. Right in the middle of all this pain and this anguish and this description of grief and lament, there's this section where the poet points to hope. This glimpse, this reminder, this prompting toward hope, it's appropriate now in the middle of this Lenten journey. We're about halfway through heading toward Easter. And I'm gonna warn you, there I wish I could say that after this, it's all sunshine for the rest of Lamentations. This dude's mind has been changed And he talks about the love of God and the joy in the Lord for the rest of the time. But folks, that's not what we're into here. There's plenty of lamenting left in Lamentations, let me tell you. We have more to go on this journey to the cross, more to go in this difficult book. And along the way, we have plenty to grieve and lament in our personal lives and in the life of our world. The loss of a beloved church member all of a sudden this week. The, the aftermath of another devastating mass shooting in New Zealand. And then over 500 people lost to this cyclone in Zimbabwe. And the number keeps to seep, seems to keep rising. Yeah, there, there's plenty to grieve and lament. And there will be on the rest of this journey as we head toward Easter. But we can also count on a turning point. I'll say that again, and I'm going to hope for an amen. We can also count on a turning point, Amen? amen? We can count on a turning point. We can count on hope. It's part of our story. We need to do the work of grief and lament, but we are not without hope. We can count on the steadfast love of the Lord, even in the middle of doing this grief work in this difficult book. Beloved, may we be reminded of that today. May you, may I, be reminded of that hope as we continue in this Lenten journey, as we continue to read these poems of grief and lament, as you are challenged, perhaps, to enter into or revisit some of the grief work in your own life, as you are encouraged in this safe space to do that work, to tell others about that work, to tell your story as painful as it may be, may you be reminded in all of that that there is a turning point, if not many turning points, that there is hope, if not many points of hope along the way. May we be reminded of that today, and along the rest of our journey toward death and resurrection. Amen. At this point in our service every week, we take some time to pass the peace of Christ. We usually look at each other and we say, The peace of Christ be with you, and the response is something like, And also with you. This week, I want to change it up a little bit. As we greet one another, I want to invite you to look one another in the eyes and say, The hope of Christ be with you. I would love to have us take some time to remind each other of the hope that we have in Christ. So take a few minutes, greet one another with the hope of Christ. When you hear, bless the Lord, come on back, and we'll take some time in prayer. Greet one another with the hope of Christ.